track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. It's over. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and Touch the ball, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! What's up, Connection Podcast Network listeners? Welcome back to WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me as always on this journey is my buddy Marcus. Marcus, how are you? Uh, JT, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Uh, we have uh, a really big event, I feel like, in uh, SummerSlam 1999, and Unforgiven 99, but mm -hmm. uh, SummerSlam 99, it's one of those shows where I remember, like, everything leading up to the show i can mm -hmm. close my eyes and like basically play the show in my head um i'm curious if any of our listeners uh also like remember the summer slam a lot this is one of those like just landmark events that just takes up space in my mind uh you know for no good reason other than like it's the height of the attitude era and everything's jumping off yeah i think we're gonna really pressure test our system here tonight because, uh, you know, in our, first, in our last episode, we dove in, started the 99-2000 season. We really talked about, and we started with Fully Loaded, right? Like, there's so many big moments and little things that add up on these shows in 99. And it's because so much more happens. Like, every little mid-card match has a build or has a story or has a moment. And those just tend to add up. And the one thing that could hurt this year in the season is really in-ring at 99. But again, like, most of the shit matches are on TV and the good stuff is on pay-per-view. And... When it really hits, like you may see, you know, a snowball effect on some of these. And I think this is going to be a real good one to test the, the strength of our system. Yeah, absolutely. 99 uh, may have the secret ingredient to, uh, I guess, crack the code for our system. All right. We'll see if it does. And that system is a plus minus based system. We basically uh, rank and break down all of the matches and net those out. We'll talk about the scoring in a moment. 
And then we uh, look at a, a bunch of other categories as well. Build, commentary, atmosphere, notable moments and uh, importance, card structure, rewatchability, and all-time matches. We do pluses, we do minuses, we net that out, we add up to a total score, and that is where each pay-per-view ends up ranking against each other. We then do uh, average out to get the the best year, eventually the best season. Uh, The season method that we do looks at starting with the pay-per-view after WrestleMania, so usually like the April show, until Mania the next year. We feel that gives us a much better encapsulation and picture of the road and the build long-term to WrestleMania and what they're trying to accomplish each season also gives you the long build to SummerSlam and then and then on through. So it kind of really gives you, I think, a more crisp, clear picture of what a DOTF, you know, year is by design. And we call it uh, a season. So this is our third season we're in, 1999-2000. And we are excited to continue to march through. For match grades, what we do is uh, if you consider two and a half to be an average kind of, you know, replacement level match for everything above two and a half, we add, you know, quarter star we round up for everything below we take our uh, total score or average score between me and you and round down and then we add all those up as well so everything on the show is really based on what's a better or worse than a very replacement level outing so you know standard commentary that's replacement level you hit something really good that goes up by a point if it's really bad it goes down by a point and on and on through all of the categories so we really just try and look at what is you know above and below what you would just consider to be an average pay-per-view outing yeah, right on. All right, so we'll see how the system continues. So why don't we go ahead and dive in? We're going to start with SummerSlam 1999, an out-of-body experience from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Target Center, August 22nd, 1999. A really good crowd, 17,370, a really good buy rate, 600,000 as well. Mm. And, of course, this is the return to the WF by Jesse the Body Ventura had just won uh, the governorship of Minnesota that previous year in 1998 in the election year. So he's doing this, like it's a pretty ballsy outing by him uh, less than a year into being governor of a, a state and a major political role. He is back involved in pro wrestling. I think he makes what two appearances on raw. It's not much right. Heading into this. Yeah. I think it's two appearances on raw and yeah. And then the pay-per-view. Yeah. And then, like, the press conference and all that stuff as well, yeah. obviously. Uh, some, so, yeah, he's... For some reason, I was getting uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> appearance much later <laughs> on SmackDown confused with the body. Yes. And he... Uh, so, this is the role... I mean, he's kind of infamous for at SummerSlam, right? He's the referee at the first ever SummerSlam in 1988. So, they kind of play off that with him uh, coming back. So, we'll dive more into his return here as we get into the card. Uh, but, Marcus, why don't you go ahead and walk us through? Absolutely. Kicking us off tonight for the Intercontinental and European title, Jeff Jarrett is going to defeat D'Lo Brown. Uh, I went with a grade of 3.25. I gave it a 3. I've always liked this match as an opener. Jarrett, we've talked about, he's kind of on a roll. Uh, And D'Lo is really, this is like, sadly, it's his his peak. Well, I shouldn't say sadly, it's his peak, but it's his peak. And sadly, that's about to change radically for him over the next couple of months. But Mm -hmm. right now, he's in a great shape. He's putting on really solid matches. These two had an easy flow in chemistry. You get the teal turn at the end. That was pretty obvious, I think, at the time. Mark Henry turns. Uh, Jarrett came into the show with two titles, European. um, Oh, I'm sorry. It was was he having both or was D'Lo come in with one? I always mix that up. Me too. Um, I think I think Jarrett wins both. You're right. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that, right. I think D'Lo is the Euro the Eurocontinental uh, champion. 
Yeah, he is coming in. So Jarrett, uh, no, no, Jarrett, Jarrett was IC champion because he okay. won it back from Edge at fully loaded, right? And I don't think he lost it again to D'Lo. I think it was belt for belt. Okay. I'll triple check, but um, either way, it's a really fun match. You get the finish at the end, and we'll see what happens with the belts. But uh, no, Jarrett, no, uh, oh, no, you're right. I'm sorry, I was wrong. So D'Lo won it on Raw two nights after fully loaded. I guess oh, right wow. okay. and aired. Okay. Um, and then yeah, it aired on August second, and then Jarrett wins it here. Wow, I wonder why I thought he came in with the belt. So, all right, yeah. So D'Lo had both belts. Jarrett wins them both. They're both in the line in this match. And uh, these guys definitely have good chemistry, and Henry uh, helps Jarrett win in the heel turn. That's This has been the whole thing build with D'Lo trying to get him to lose weight, and Henry ends up getting pissed about it and turns on him, trying to get him into shape. So, yeah, I think this is a fine opener. It was reminiscent of D'Lo's opener a year ago in 98. Yeah, and this feud gave us the great line from Mark Henry. Can a brother get some sauce or something? Got <laughs> <laughs> into his steak. Uh, myself and uh, the tool man quote that one all the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like this. I thought it was a great opener. Uh, our next matchup is, oh, one of my favorites, Tag Team Turmoil. As mm. we have the teams of Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, Midian and Viscera, Draz and Albert, the Acolytes, and the Holly Cousins. Uh, the Acolytes are going to pick up the win, last eliminating the Hollies. I also went three and a quarter on this. Yeah, this is pretty fun. Uh, so I went three stars. It was better than I expected it to be. Like, I didn't remember it being this solid, especially given a couple of the teams that are in there. But the Hardys, Edge and Christian are really starting to establish themselves at this point, um, you know, in the ring. Like, even, like, the gimmicky stuff hasn't happened yet, right? So they're actually showcasing that they're able to work really good to straight tag matches. The Acolytes are also starting to assert themselves as the Alphas in the tag division. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've just kind of been bit players in the ministry and... Um, you know, they were well regarded and they had hard dating offense and were kind of just the heavies for the Undertaker. But since that's dissolved, they're really kind of stepping up and becoming the top team here. And uh, they win here to earn the tag title shot. And this had a good flow to it. I, I thought it was well done. Also, an immediate push for the Hollies with Crash on the scene now and teaming up with Hardcore over the last two weeks. I mean, they make the finals over some pretty strong you know, offerings as well. So you can tell that they have some faith in them. Yeah, and this is cool because this is for uh, number one contendership to the tag team titles. I think that match goes down on Raw uh, a couple weeks later at some point. Um, but we're seeing some depth to the tag division right now. The titles are kind of in like a semi-main event um, status. And so what they're doing is building up the division so that there's like a natural leveling off process as opposed to like somehow these un- this underdog tag team, maybe like the Hardys or something like that going up against, you know, whoever the main event tag team champions are going to be. Um, so they're doing a nice job of kind of like, I think, stacking the division, ranking mm-hmm. them, putting the teams in order. Um, and you see that the Accolades just have like a head step, uh, head start on the Hardys and Edge and Christian here. Uh, yeah, and, and part of it is because they have been involved with a top act for, for a while now. And um, in a way, I mean... Yeah, I mean, they were like made of, Farouk was a main eventer at, at a point, you know, before mm-hmm. joining this team. So it's, it, you know, he's, it definitely feels like they're a cut above right now. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, we have another title match, though, next, as uh, Al Snow is going to be taking on the big boss man for the hardcore title. Al Snow is going to get the hardcore title. Uh, and I went three and a quarter on this. Same for me. Uh, so we're in a really good star here uh, for three very good matches. And this makes up for the debacle at Fully Loaded that we covered in our last episode. 
they uh, this is the uh, really, I, I guess, pretty famous match in some regards, because this is where Chris Jericho made his pay-per-view debut right before it mm-hmm. and has the verbal uh, altercation with Road Dog. And then Road Dog does roving commentary for this match. Uh, <laughs> he walks with them. And this is where they brawl over to the bar across the street and they fight in the bar and continuing to set the template for these like wild, wacky, hardcore title battles that'll happen over the next year eventually when they introduce the 24 7 rule and all that but you're starting to see this seep in where they're doing more and more kind of opening to leaving the arena and doing different stuff so uh, this is well done snow gets his hardcore title he's kind of been chasing it on and off all year and this feud while we are in a couple of uh a couple of matches in is really just gonna get heated uh coming out of this so we're not done with it yet but t- so far we're off to a really strong start in the show yeah, and this is the sweet spot, I think, for these hardcore matches that are going to leave the arena. We've seen some of these matches get like 16 minutes and 15 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and just really stretch out. This one went uh, 7.27 is the match time. Uh, I think they cover a lot of ground in that seven minutes. Like, yeah, that's the thing. They, like, they leave, they, they go linger. across the street to a bar, like, you know, yeah. they're hustling. Yeah, they don't linger in any area uh, for any portion of time. They keep it moving. And, of course, Road Dog there on commentary. And I think he's also uh, setting up his title match for the next night. Uh, I think he he mentioned that that he was going to challenge whoever won uh, on the Raw after this. So, a lot of build uh, to make you want to tune into Raw on the next night, which is nice to see on the pay per views. Yeah, and I liked. Uh, I'm not the biggest Road Dog fan. It's been documented on many pay per views, on many papers, many podcasts. But I actually thought he was good um, as uh, doing the roving announcing in this match. So I think that added to it because he was yeah. really funny, kind of reacting to this madness happening in real time. Yeah, I love it. It it definitely stands out. There's a couple lines there. Um, that also like just stand out in my memory. So uh, we're three for three so far. And mm-hmm. our next match is for the WF women's title. And Ivory is going to retain over Tori. I went two on this. Uh, JT, how'd you feel? Uh, I just gave it the uh, one star. <laughs> Not too much going on here. This has been kind of a weird feud. Uh, they do have that match on, uh, you know, I think it's, it's to come where they get like a little bit more vicious and they start doing more of the, handicap stuff through i mean the um, hardcore stuff throughout with them but this on its own was just kind of there just kind of bland i mean it's only four minutes ivory retains the title over tori who feels like she's been on the doorstep this whole time and never really cashes in but i think you know they'll be better from them but for right now this is just kind of a throwaway and to me ends up easily being the worst match on the show and even then it was fine but it's it's a quick detour on what ends up being a very solid rest of the run yeah, and and I am higher. I went I went the full two on it. Um, I just think they, given the time that they had, um, they really kept it moving and they threw in some moves there. And they actually went out there and like had a wrestling match. And we're gonna see as the season goes on that that's gonna be less of a normality. We're gonna see a lot more of the, uh, I guess Russo uh, stuff that he gets credit or blame for uh, with mm-hmm. like you know the pudding matches and um, you know bikini contests and everything like that. So. Uh, they went out there. They actually had a wrestling contest. Um, so, yeah, I went two. You went one. Um, it gives it a 1.5. Uh, our next match, though, is another match that's happening outside of the ring, technically, uh, in the Lions' den. Ken Shamrock mm-hmm. is going to defeat the Lethal Weapon, Steve Blackman. Doom, 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 doom. Uh, I went three. I went three and a quarter here. I really have always liked this match a lot. I like their feud. They had the fun iron circle at Fully Loaded, and then they do the... Um, the cage here and i don't think it was too much of a 
drop from the Owen Hart one the year before. Like I think they matched the intensity and the weapons and mm-hmm. everything was worked really tight and stiff. And this is pretty much, I mean, if a shamrock, like he is on TV, but he's gone by our next pay-per-view. And this was, um, I think a good way to go out for him. It was a strong match, a strong showing, and it was fun. It, it was right in his wheelhouse as Blackman as well. And uh, I thought they, they brought the intensity and it felt like it didn't feel forced like this could, you know, and the same for the Iron Circle. I thought they did a really good job with both gimmick matches. And this goes sub 10 to keep it moving. So, yeah, I thought they, they hit a nice little moment here and the crowd was into it. And it's something that could bomb, but they did a good job making sure it didn't. Yeah, sad to see Shamrock go. He's been a lot of fun this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, like, you know, the notorious match with Undertaker from Backlash. Like, he was he was fun in that. Um, but just, like, the different transitions and limb work he was doing. And, uh, you know, having back-to-back matches outside the ring with Blackman. That's not easy to do. And they mm-hmm. they, they keep us engaged. And they really deliver in the Iron Circle, like you said. And now uh, in the Lion's Den. I like that they added the weapons that really benefited Blackman. But Shamrock was able to... Uh, you know, show his proficiency with the weapons too. So good stuff there. Uh, next up, one of my personal favorite matches. I might be tipping my hand a little bit here, but uh, in the lover of lever street fight test is going to defeat Shane McMahon. <laughs> I went four and a half on this match. I absolutely love it. Uh, JT, would you go? I went four and a quarter. It's, it's awesome. It's going to be one of the most surprising results in a match like quality wise and company history right like I, I can't imagine anyone came into this thinking this was going to be anything because shane's been fine i guess i mean like with x-pac he had the couple good matches uh he had the fun match with austin but i mean that's steve austin vince is involved like this is him carrying a match with test who to this point had been fine i guess as a character but had done nothing in the ring. I mean, there'd been no signs at all that Tess could come out here and throw a banger out um, in, in a match like this. But he really delivers. Like, he really leans in. The crowd is into him. The story has been really well told. And the heat from the crowd, you know, leads them to feed off of it. You get the Mean Street Posse on the couch at ringside, which is awesome. You get the Stooges coming out for a good moment. You get the elbow off the top. You get the Stephanie coming out to celebrate. It's just a really well done soap opera type feud and storyline that also delivered just in a very fun match and that the crowd was fully invested to. You would have left, you would have came into the night not expecting this and you would have left this night thinking, Oh shit, like test may be a star, you know, coming out yeah. of this. So, um, yeah, f- four and a quarter for me, this is definitely like a classic. Yeah. This is why like storylines can be really awesome. Like you give a guy like test who's just like, all right, you know, middle of the pack kind of guy, mm-hmm. very limited experience, very green, um, but you give him a storyline, you give him week to week build, uh, you give him an environment that makes sense for him to like thrive in and operate in. And somebody like Shane McMahon, who's going to go out there and, and go balls of the wall. Uh, and this is what you get. This was awesome. I love this matchup. Um, and I, I do think it's a shame that we're not going to see test become WWE champion this season, because like you said, coming out of this, uh, at least for me, not only is test a star, but like test is like, oh, that's that's the dude like right. that's the dude that's going to get moved up um especially given the company's love for big blonde baby faces <laughs> yeah um, i mean he seems like he fit the template beautifully he sure and does. Then he, he's already tied in with the mcmahons um he would have had a natural transition to a guy like triple h who's being positioned to be a top guy like the pieces are there and they thought well enough to make him put him in the union which is slated to be a top stable so they obviously like him quite a bit 
And then you see this and you're like, oh, man, this guy can go if he's in the right setting. And this is their type of match, like this crazy, chaotic, you know, over the top match. So, yeah, I feel like it was there for him. Yeah, it, he wrestles this match like some kind of hybrid between like Diesel and Hulk Hogan and and Macho um, Man. <laughs> like, and Macho flying around the ring like Macho Man. Yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, so we'll track uh, Test and Shane as the season goes on, um, and you know we'll see where maybe it all falls apart. Uh, but next up for the World Tag Titles, uh, the Big Show and Undertaker. I think are they the Unholy Alliance? Uh, yeah, I don't know if they were ever truly called that. I okay. guess Armageddon. Maybe something. they were, but but we no, got it was Sh- Unholy Alliance is definitely the name. I just don't remember if it was formal or like one of those names that just got kind of bestowed upon them and it stuck, you know. Like uh, supply and demand. Yes. <laughs> but big Big Show and Undertaker are going to win the tag team titles by defeating X Pac and Kane. Uh, I went three and a quarter on this match as well. Uh, yeah, I've always liked this one uh, quite a bit. I'm a big fan of Kane and X-Pac, who we haven't gotten to see um, really showcased much on pay-per-view as a team. We talked about that in our last episode, how like we've been kind of saddled with Kane getting stuck with Big Show, who's kind of aimless, and X-Pac's kind of been involved in the DX stuff. But this is our first real look at what's been the team that's kind of dominated the whole summer. Like They were formed in April, pretty much, so they've been you know, in the top of the tag division all that time. Just didn't really transition to pay-per-view. I went three and a quarter as well. I love the finish of this match where, like, Undertaker gets pissed to Big Show for not finishing them <laughs> off because the whole storyline of this Unholy Alliance is, like, like, Taker sees potential in Big Show, but he's basically, like, a lazy slob, and he's got to, like, <laughs> he wants to, like, give him a killer instinct, right? Like, that's the whole storyline. Like, you're supposed to be learning from under this tree, and I'm going to make you into a killer show, right? You're going to be a killer show. And there'd be the match, you know, where he make sure I work the whole match, or he'd sit on commentary, right? Like, it, it just, all this stuff where he was trying to prove lessons to Big Show. And here, Show fails to finish off the champions, and Taker basically tags himself in, scoops up X-Pac and just murders him with a tombstone. Like one of the nastiest tombstones you'll see. He like jumps and spikes him into the ground to prove a point <laughs> that pins him for the titles. And it's just like awesome, angry, disappointed coach undertaker. Like that had to do it himself because big show failed uh, or like a mob boss where they, you know, yeah, his captain failed at killing the guy. He had to go do it himself. Like that kind of thing where he just seems so pissed off that Big Show failed. And, uh, and maybe it was more of a Walter White, Jesse Pinkman vibe <laughs> between <laughs> these two guys. But he had to go there and do the job himself. Um, so, yeah, three and a quarter for me. I've always been a fan of this match of both of these teams. And it sucks we don't get more Taker Big Show because I thought they actually had a really fun vibe uh, that evolves as we go forward with, with this crazy – basically a guy that's been portrayed as a devil for most of this, most of this year. And all of a sudden he's like trying to coach up the big show to also be a murderous devil. Um, but he's just such a, you know, I don't call him a failure, but he's a screw up. <laughs> and so like Taker just gets angry at him all the time. So it's just, it's a fun little vibe that they had going on. And Xbox and Kane is an awesome vibe as well with Xbox finally befriending Kane after all the shit with China and everything that went down with the corporation and you know trying to get kane to talk and be nor you know be himself and open up more and kane trying to you know tough it up xbox a bit and just they had a really fun vibe as well 
Yes, I just see the titles come off of Canon Xbox here, but uh, we'll continue to follow them as the season goes along. And uh, Big Show and K, uh, Big Show and Undertaker, they do have like the, you know that teacher pupil dynamic, and unfortunately, all Big Show learns how to do is carry a motorcycle across the desert. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think we get that in the build up too. <laughs> well, um, but next up, uh, hot off of his King of the Ring win, Billy Gunn is going to lose to Dwayne mm-hmm. the Rock Johnson. I went two and three quarters on this. Neither does he lose. He's got to kiss that large woman's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, so I went two and three quarters. Like, I get it that, you know, we talked about it with King of the Ring. Like, they were trying to make Billy Gunn a thing. He had the look. He could go, you know, like, there was enough there to make it worth a shot. But if fully loaded, he's already losing in that tag match. And then this just feels like I know rock is kind of like in neutral a bit, but this really feels like a waste of the rocket, like the biggest second biggest show of the year. And yes, there's a chance to elevate Billy Gunn, but he basically just jobs out like Mm -hmm. he gets some offense, but like it's not a super impressive showing. And it's all built around him bringing out this, you know, fat woman (laughs) to make rock kiss her ass. And it's like. It's just it's just kind of goofy when you're trying to build this guy to a serious heel and to call him Mr. Ass, to have him with the fat woman. Like it just none of it resonated to me. Just like, oh yeah, okay, here's a guy that we should be taking as a top level serious heel. And I think this match, everything since Kenner Ring has kind of been a mess with Billy Gunn. And this match is part of that too. And like you have Rock here who in theory, fine, you want to use him of a gun but i don't know i don't know what he could have been doing here but there had to be something better yeah this feels like a big swing in the miss um it's like hey you see what you guys did like two matches earlier with uh that big blonde guy Hmm. you know maybe billy gunn needs some of that maybe he needs some of a storyline um with some teeth to it other than you know uh trying to get the the rock to to kiss his behind her and um if you've ever wanted to see the rock wrestle like the human embodiment of rolling your eyes back at your parents like this is the match he doesn't he like he doesn't sandbag him ever um you know he doesn't throw a fit or anything like that he doesn't expose the business but you can just tell like this is rock stuck in like second gear um right and like yeah like this 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 is what you've got for me this is this is it um so yeah it's it's a waste of the rock Given that, you know, we have an extra main eventer wrapped up in the uh, triple threat match. What are you supposed to do with The Rock? But uh, you got to do better than this with how with how hot The Rock is at this time. Um, so probably our most disappointing match of the evening, but it still clocks in at two and three quarters. Uh, so yeah, I think it's easily the most disappointing. Like everything yeah. else has exceeded. I keep looking at this and trying to figure out, like, who would be better. Like for him... And the only thing to come up with is him and instead of Mankind being in the title match, which is all a mess anyway, you could have done Mankind and Rock in the tag and mm. made it a triple threat. Like, and make it like a real big time triple threat. But, I mean, looking at the roster, I guess, like, Billy kind of might have been the only option for him. Yeah, and... Like there, there's so many dynamics with uh, the triple threat matches. I'm sure we'll get into with you know who's in, who's out, who's who's winning, who's losing. 
Um, but historically, the winner of the King of the Ring at this point has received their title shot at, at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is there a way for Billy Gunn to be in a multi-person match? And maybe you do put Mankind out, you team him up with The Rock, you throw them in the tag title match to make it a triple threat. Um, you know, I mean, that, Road Dog's on in this show, so you could finally do Billy Gunn Road Dog. Right. Um, um, which you hadn't really done since Over the Edge. And you also, like, I don't know, would it have been too quick to hotshot Jericho against The Rock? Like, he debuted against them with that promo mm-hmm. as part of the build to here. Like, even if Jer- even if Rock beats him, like, who cares? Like, it's still The Rock, and you can have Jericho still talk it away. Like, that'd be a, still a huge debut match for him to fight The Rock at SummerSlam. So you could have done that, too. You could have Billy go over Road Dog, and then rock over Jericho if that feels like a bigger deal, you know? And also at the top of the card, we've got somebody who's been an Intercontinental Champion and is pretty red hot as a heel mm-hmm. in Jeff Jarrett. You know, maybe you accelerate that Mark Henry turn. You do that on TV. You do Brown and Henry on, on uh, you know, whether you do it on Heat or whether you do it... Um, or you do you know, Brown and Billy Gunn. You could do that, too. You could do that, too. Yeah, there's... There's lots of alternatives, I think, to, you know, now that we dive into it, to pull people from, to give Rock a, a better, hotter matchup. Um, but, yeah, low low point of the show, uh, even though it's not it by, you know, match grade, uh, just with, like, the disappointment factor. Um, but that takes us into our main event for the WWF Championship with special guest referee Jesse the Body, or Jesse the Governor Ventura. Uh, we've got Stone Cold Steve Austin defending against Triple H and Mankind. And Mankind is going to pick up what might be called a surprising win uh, mm-hmm. by pinning Steve Austin. And I went three and three quarters on this match. I have to say, I like this better rewatching it than I had remembered. So I went three and three quarters as well. I was expecting it to be more like three and a quarter, three and a half coming in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it started that way. But then it's one of those matches that really like takes a little bit to get cranking. And then it gets good. Um, you get the fun moment of Jesse throwing Shane out of the ring and saying, that's your old man, you little bastard, which is funny. Um, I thought Jesse was great as the ref, as always. Like, he's just got such a good way of... Yes, like he's so big and domineering and loud <clears throat> that it's easy to feel like, OK, he's like overshadowing. But then you have these big stars there, too. Just like it's not Sam 88. It doesn't feel like he's it doesn't feel like he's overshadowing. You know, what I mean, like it feels like he's just one of the big guys in the match. So which helps. And you get the cool moment. Of course, he refuses to count for Triple H because Triple H cheated. And he said all along coming into the match, like, it's my rules, my rules. You're going to follow my rules. It's my rules. The body rules of the highway. Right? Like, that's what he kept saying. <laughs> Um, it always bothered me. He didn't say my way or the highway. He always said my yeah. rules of the highway. Uh, but <clears throat> so he's great in his hometown. Uh, I, I'll just never get, and no matter how much I read the backstage stuff or the rationale, I'll just never understand the way they went about this match in the finish, like adding Foley just to win. So Ventura can raise the face's hand, like made no sense to me. Why not have Austin just retain? And it, it, I don't know. I, it just it never clicked for me. Like, why not have Triple H win over Austin? Jesse begrudgingly hold his hand, and then Austin just like runs him out of the ring and celebrates with Jesse with the beer after, even though he loses. I don't know. Like, like there's ways to do it, and to me that's like bullshit anyway because Jesse raises Foley's hand, but then Triple H like beats the shit out of Austin to end the show anyway. You know, so mm-hmm. it's. It's like we ended with like a feel good moment. Like Jesse literally raises Foley's hand for like a minute. So I don't know. It just it didn't it never really resonated to me why they went this way. Like Foley is just off the shelf. 
from injury. They did all the back and forth nonsense on Raw. Who was the number one contender? Who was going to get the match? At one point, it's China versus Austin. And then you know, it's like, like it's all over the place, right? It's like three consecutive weeks of nonsense. So I, I don't know. I just that always bothered me with the show. And look, I love Mick Foley, but coming off the shelf in the sweatpants, like, does that really look better? Jesse raising like the slob's hand, the sweatpants and the <laughs> shirt with the tie. Like, is that better than holding the hand of like a ripped dude like Triple H? And you can do a respect moment. Like Jesse was always a heel. Like all of a sudden they're concerned about a photo op. Like, and that's always been the story. And I don't know if it's true or not, but if that's what they're concerned about, like Triple H is shredded. They could have just done like, all right, well, look, I respect your game, right? <laughs> like it's, I get it. Okay. You're better. You just beat the best of the business to win the title. Like to me, that would have just meant way more than the way they go about it, where Triple H wins the next night anyway on a forgotten match on Raw. And if the truth was that Austin didn't want to lose to Triple H, I don't buy that either because two months later he does. So it just never, none of it ever made sense to me. Yeah, it is. It is a whirlwind of backstage affairs that I don't know. The, the pieces don't really connect. You can kind of see what they're supposed to, but uh, it's, it's just a lot of moving pieces here. Um, and and it's a, it is a bit puzzling that you know mankind is the one that pulls out the win over Austin. Like even the crowd, it's kind of like um I don't know like a, like a stunned hush, uh almost akin to like WrestleMania six. Um, it's like oh did that just happen? And then you know they get into it, they cheer, but um it, yeah it's a surprising outcome. It is nice to see that in these triple threat matches, you know when they say anybody can win. And the champions at disadvantage and all that, like they actually do pull out a surprise and it does end up benefiting mankind because there's like no way mankind beats Stone Cold Steve Austin straight up one on one. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, the next night there's no way he beats Triple H one on one. So points to them, I guess, for going through with, you know, the surprise finish. But yeah, there, there's just a lot at play there with the backstage politics. Um, you know, Austin supposedly refusing to or not wanting to do the job Triple H, and like you mentioned with Jesse wanting to hold up uh, Babyface's hand. You got China too. Like China was very close to like being in this match, and at this point, I just don't know like why wasn't it a four way? Um, right. They're like fighting over this Triple H's spot, which is really China's spot, and who's gonna get it? And you know, I guess Austin understandably at that time like doesn't want like you know it's a tough look for austin if he has to you know uh beat up china in a match like you know that doesn't really get you know doesn't really play well so. i don't think they're ever gonna have man on woman as competent as china was and capable as china was and as strong as she's been presented will be presented i think that's one where jesse probably wouldn't be involved <laughs> like you yeah. know what i mean like i think that one would probably stand out a little too much yeah, so it, it, it's it's fascinating. There there's so much going on backstage. Um, but you know, they'll they'll get to where they want to go, I guess, the next night. Uh so that concludes our matches for the evening and that takes us over to our build and uh our other categories. Okay. So our our total grade for war is is a strong one. So like I said, we average our two match grades and then plus minus it from two and a half. And that all nets out to a 6.25, which right. is really strong overall and extremely strong for this season. Cause again, you don't think of 99 as being like a big in-ring year, but to get six points out of the gate and match grades is huge. And that tells you, like if you heard our grades besides the women's match, everything was two, seven, five to, to four and a half. It's like, 
it, they're all, we have three, three and a half, three, three and a quarter, three and a quarter, three. It's like everything was just really good. And so now that adds up all those little quarter points and half points all add up. And uh, the only match in the negative was the women's match for us. So out of the gate, we're already looking at six and a quarter, which when I saw that, I'm like, this show's going to most likely over deliver by quite a bit. So um, let's continue to go through this. So for build, here are the items that we gave a point for for being above replacement level. Test uh, eliminating the Mean Street Posse one by one, injuring them all so he could have a, a clean showdown with Shane. We gave a point for Taker and Show teaming up after the last pay-per-view when they worked together fully loaded and continuing their assault on Xbox and Kane. We gave a point for the tag team turmoil as you had Edge and Christian versus the Hardys. You had the Hollies getting involved, Acolytes wanting their titles all in the mix. So the tag division has been well played out over the last month. Uh, we have the tease with Jarrett and Deborah, which it made it like she was going to leave and be with D'Lo. And then she comes out and her and Henry both helped him help Jarrett get his belts against D'Lo. Uh, Blackman and Shamrock slowly introducing weapons into their feud. The Ivory Tory slut build, which is good coming into this. Uh, Jesse's promos leading up to the show with the Jesse's law, my, you know, my rules of the highway. And then, um, uh, you know, we put in a build. Usually it's an atmosphere thing for us, but we put in a build this time. It doesn't matter. It would have been a plus anyway. It's uh, the good opening video about the guest referees. Yeah. Uh, it was really good. They talk about all that, the guest referees throughout uh, company history and why that's a big one. So, I mean, that's a lot of build on this card these did a really nice job uh setting up for this pay-per-view yeah absolutely uh we are pretty much in the middle of our season and everything is just culminating at the right time for this event um but for the minuses uh we have a chaotic build to the main event which really wasn't finalized until the go-home brawl uh like I mentioned earlier with china and triple h being in and out of the matchup uh lack of follow-through for billy guns king the ring uh win and convoluted um I guess dynamics with the new brood now with uh, the Hardy boys being with Gangrel and I guess Michael P.S. Yeah, that dropped. never really that always felt weird to me. Like, it just felt forced. Like, why did we need to do that double turn and make the Hardys heal and Edge and Christian face and like the new brood like Edge and Christian? They were the brood with Gangrel because they were all like vampire type goth characters. And so now the Hardys, who have been more like skater boys, right <laughs> coming out here and, um with their jinko jeans and everything else like now they're goth brood guy i don't know it's just it just felt like forced to me and I, I never liked that switch i just would have left things alone or just had gangrel go do his own thing like why did he have to manage the hardies he's a great manager all of a sudden that just always <laughs> was an odd one yeah, he's definitely not a great mouthpiece for him so nothing really makes sense there but i guess they'll uh, correct that as we go along all right so uh, that nets out to a <clears throat> plus five. So another strong uh, bash there with a lot of good build. All right, commentary, which has continued to be a strength here in 99 so far. We've uh, you know talked about a JR and King are really in their bag. They're really feeling it. Chemistry's on point. They have a very intimate knowledge of all the storylines, and they know how to deliver them and get things across and make their points uh, clear and concisely. So, uh, excellent job telling the stories all night. We give them, it's kind of like a default point for them, honestly, at this point. We do these. Uh, getting over X-Pac is a hometown hero. They did a really nice job there. Roaming Road Dog, we gave a point for him we talked about earlier. He did a really nice job <clears throat> going around the arena during the Big Boss Man Al Snow match. The amazing uh, work by both those guys during the Lover or Lever match were really dialed in during that. They sold uh, the betrayal of Mark Henry really well. 
they kept up with the action of the tag team Tor- turmoil really well. It's a match you can easily get lost in. And they stepped up and delivered. Uh, did a good job trying to get Billy Gunn over and selling him and Rock as pure athletes and why they could match up. And if the booking had done the same, that Billy Gunn pushed me to go a different mm-hmm. way. <laughs> uh, and then um, really funny. And I enjoy this because I just I I just can't get into how they presented Michael Hayes throughout this whole thing. Like he looks like a dope. We talked about a fully loaded where he looks like the loser of the group. And here King straight up calls him doc and then calls him a loser uh, <laughs> for, for like getting screwed up with the Hardys and all that. So just uh, funny stuff, but I thought they were really strong on this night. They've been really strong all season. And I think we'll see like, this may be their best year together as a team. Yeah, this this shows another banger for them uh, in the booth. Uh, the only minuses we have are Perfect King during Ivory and Tori. Uh, poor aging body shaming of the surprise lady during the Rock and Billy Gun, And we went minus two there. Um, they were pretty harsh on her. And uh, oh, God. As, as we found out, this turns out this was just some lady who mm-hmm. showed up a little early to the arena and was spotted. And they decided to pull her in for this angle. So, like... You know, good for her getting a payday and being on pay-per-view, but how terrible to to just exist uh, and to suddenly be thrown into this spot and to get made fun of on, you know, worldwide pay-per-view. Just just really bad. So minus two there. Um, and Pervy King for Deborah. Tough to blame him, but going to dock him. All right. So that nets out to uh, a four. So they had a lot of pluses, but this is one where they had a bunch of minuses and the heavy ones for sure during Rock and Gun. And the one, like you said, I got a pet pet peeve or one down point throughout all this with King is is the horny perf stuff. Like they're on fire and dialed in and really strong, but that continues to be negatives through most of this. And I know it was a time period. I know that's the presentation. And I'm sure there were a lot of fans that went to it at the time too, that were in the horny King role, right? Cause it's a product aimed at teenage boys. So, um, you know, they're, they're whatever, like they're feeding into it, but it was just like creepy. It's one thing if you're 17, you know, and getting horny over Deborah in the bikini, but when you're 60 year old Jerry Lawler <laughs> got <on> TV <laughs> talking about it, it's, it's a little creepier, but okay. Atmosphere, a great set, a great theme to the show. Uh, the hardcore brawl in the bar was was really cool background to see. Uh, God, the crowd is insane for all the test kickouts, like surviving that match. Mm-hmm. Give a point for that. Of course, our usual point for the Rocks pop that's on fire when he comes out. Um, they love seeing Jesse being in charge and when he's yelling at Shane and all that. So point for that. Uh, the shock, you mentioned it earlier, the crowd buzz when Foley beats Austin was kind of crazy. Um you know, a point for the lion's den, how they highlight it early in the night. And then it was a cool setting in the corner of the arena looked different. Uh, the heat on triple H was really good. And then the Hachi Machi bonus atmosphere point for Deborah, where the crowd is just, again, like I know it's a shot of King, but <laughs> man, like I was 18, right. When this aired and I was like, Oh, okay. Big points for Deborah there. Yeah. Uh, Deborah just existing, uh, rivals, like any other high point of the show, the crowd is, uh, absolutely, uh, on fire for her. Uh, as far as the minuses, uh, the crowd is a bit down for the women's match, which was even positioned uh, to be like kind of a down point for the show. Uh, we got Midi and Vis. Uh, they basically killed the high from the Hardys and uh, ENC. It's like a, a drastic drop off, and uh, in the tag team turmoil match, and we get a unfortunate take it off chant during the women's match. Uh, I mentioned mm-hmm. they go out there and 
they don't have that kind of women's match. Um, you know, it's they go out there and they actually have a match. And it, it right. does, you know, they do some business in the end of the match with uh, Ivory trying to strip Tori. But um, just just unnecessary. It, it felt like something the uh, attention attention deficit criminals in the uh, ECW arena would chant. <laughs> well, look, they were trained that way. But yes, it was uh, <laughs> it's tough. Like, is it's. Like, part of me wants to give them kudos for trying to even make the women's title a thing during this stretch, but it also was, like, the worst possible time to try it because they're also just force-feeding TNA and nudity and sex and all this stuff down your throat. So who, of course, is going to take this seriously when, you know, that's all you're presenting the women as during this time is sex symbols and then trying to expect anyone to take them serious in the ring. Mm-hmm. It's And this starts, like, you know, reinforced behavior that takes over a decade to break. Yeah. I mean, it's not until, I mean, you can be generous and say the late 2000s, you know, if you don't want to even, I mean, some may say the revolution, right? 2015. Yeah, uh, but 16, I think they started like, a little bit But I think it's then. before that. Yeah. yeah. I, I would agree. I think it's when Trish starts getting taken more seriously and Mickey James and all that stuff. So probably like that 06 to 08 range does, undoes a bunch of it. Even though during that time, you're still getting stuff like pillow fights and gravy bowl matches and brawn panties. Like, you're still getting a lot of that through that time period. Um, I would say it's not really until, like, 10, 11 where you really start mm-hmm. to phase that stuff out and try and present them more, like, when the Bellas are on top and all that stuff. So Yeah, and Beth Phoenix did a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah a lot of stuff we covered in our last season, right? That, that was yep. kind of – we didn't get any of that stuff, right? It was all Kelly versus Beth and this and that. Like, we didn't get any TNA stuff, whereas – no. You know, watching PTB in 07 on the Place to Be podcast, um, you're still getting that. So it's in that window in there between like 07, 08, and 10, 11, 12, where they finally start to phase that stuff out. Okay, so that's a plus six on atmosphere. Let's get into notable moments. We have we have a lot of laundry list. Here we go. Uh, the Mark one. Henry turn. And we try, look, you know, I, I question this process like daily as we go through these. And I'm like, are we being fair? Are we giving too many points? But man, like shit happens all over the show that matters. Like, I don't think we're forcing any of these moments. They're all notable, memorable, or important. And that's and, and it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's all sorry to, to step on you, but it's all good. Yeah. Like all the stuff that like you're about to list and, and, and cover, like it's all good. It's not just replacement level, it's not just stuff that happened. Like it's it's really good stuff. Right. It it absolutely is. And yeah, we got a uh, a lot to get into. So we get the Mark Henry turn. We have Jarrett winning the Eurocontinental titles. We have Chris Jericho's pay-per-view debut where he roasts the lame Astro dog. We have Taker <laughs> and Big Show winning the tag team titles. The the moment where the Stooges come out to help test. Shane's big elbow uh, during the match. Mankind winning the WWE title uh, for the, what, fourth, fifth time at this point. They traded it so many times earlier in the year. Uh, Jesse Ventura is the referee. The switch to the new announce tables, which is a big change. You get the black mm-hmm. and gray announce tables. Triple H finally assenting into a complete package after all year trying to figure it out. Like, this is where he starts to kind of feel like, you know, the game Triple H that we know. Where he's got the look. He doesn't have the chain mail anymore. He's got the real song. Like, it's the pic, the picture's coming together. Triple H injures Steve Austin with a chair to put him out, put him out of action for a little bit. Uh, D'Lo Brown at his peak with, you know, being in ridiculous physical shape. Like, this is the show you think of when you think of him at his best. Uh, Al Snow attacking the BWO 
And like, it's a great moment. So during that match, like Blue Mini and Stevie come out and Snow attacks them. And he grabs the guy's crutch, and in the back <laughs> of the guy falls as he sees the crutch. And I was dying watching that. There's a guy who lived on crutches for, for a chunk of last year. Uh-huh. Uh, watching go fall was, was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, a great moment backstage where Mick Foley is talking to Jesse about the match, where Jesse, Jesse kind of visits with all competitors and gives them the rules. And uh, Foley asks, he doesn't give a shit with the rules. Foley just says, like, what do you think of Geraldine Ferraro? She's a bleeding heart liberal. <laughs> this is really <laughs> random and funny. Uh, we get the return of Luna Vachon in the women's match. We have the Mean Street Posse with the Hawaiian shirts on the couch, which is awesome moment. Uh, the and end of uh, the end of uh, Undertaker, uh, Undertaker, Undertaker as the devil. This is really his last pay-per-view in that gimmick because, yeah, he's gone on hiatus by our next one. But over the next two weeks, he's slowly transitioning to what would become his next gimmick. Uh, we start wearing more like the jean stuff and the bandana. And talking about mm-hmm. riding bikes, like so. This is kind of the end of like the character of Undertaker that's really dominated all of '99 so far. And then uh, the defiant Jesse who wags the finger at Triple H and then throws Shane out of the ring. So, I, I mean, look, I think pretty much everything on that list stands out. You know, you could maybe nitpick a couple, but I thought like all of those things are memorable moments that meant something. Yeah, and out of everything that you just listed, probably my favorite is the, the Mean Street Posse on the couch. <laughs> one's, oh, so one's got the cru- one's got the crutches. One's got the cast on his arm. One's got the neck. Uh, you know, one's got the the, the cast on his leg. <laughs> it just looked completely ridiculous. And Jr. is like, how'd the couch get there? <laughs> it, it's just so good. It's it's really good like comedy. Uh, but yeah, well, the Hawaiian shirts too. Like really, they're like bright colored Hawaiian shirts. And I mean, I. I was a big fan of those guys, like in '99, like the music, the the goofiness. Like I thought they were the perfect clowns for Shane's backup. Like I thought it was a really sharp idea, and I was super sad because uh, in 2016 on the Kevin Kelly show we actually had Pete Gas on, and and uh, Kevin interviewed him, and it was a really fun interview, and he teased that he may show up at WrestleMania when Shane fought Undertaker and, and they don't, but it was oh. just enough of a tease that I got so let down. I'm like, God, what a cool moment that would have been if the Mean Street Posse showed up in the cell to uh, help Shane against the Undertaker. Like, it felt like a real missed opportunity of something they could have done that would have been neat. Imagine how that would have changed how that whole event is looked at. <laughs> right? <laughs> if they just come charging out all of a sudden the sweater vest, like, that would have been awesome. And he hinted at it. He's kind of like, well, we'll see when we asked if, like, you know, he'd be there. But it's a cool, I mean, the archives are on the place to be wrestling feed uh the kevin kelly show but that was a really fun uh interview kevin did with pete gas so if you're lo- looking for a throwback random interview to listen to there you go and I've, I've been backstage with pete gas before and he, he's a really good dude so i might might dig that one up and, and give it a listen um so a ton of notable moments uh, and important moments let's dig into the minuses from the show mm-hmm. uh we got a poor aging rock promo uh which a lot of his materials does not age well Right. Uh, this is the true beginning of the McMahon and Helmsley uh, regime faction mm-hmm. era, uh, with Triple H beginning his ascension up the card. We get Stephanie on screen being with Test. We'll see where that goes. Uh, so yeah, this is where that really begins. We got Jim Dotson being a, a dick at the bar. He's just pushing people out. Of the oh, I can't stand that freaking guy. I have him, uh, as we'll see in the future. Like like he plays a role in some of these shows. And look, it's a personal thing with him. Like, 
We went to a show in, um, it's an infamous story. Went to it, and actually, there's an article about uh, PlayStation.com. Went to a show in Lowell in 98, and we had pulled a little okie doke, and we ended up sitting in the penalty box. And so we're on camera the whole time. We're holding up signs, we're moving around. And I think they just got tired of seeing us there. So they send Dotson over, and he's like, if you guys move up, you can come backstage after the show and like meet a couple of guys as a thank you. So we're like, all right, whatever. And like, and we're, we're not going to say no, obviously. So we move up and we go up to higher seats. And we waited around for like 40 minutes after the show. And like, he never came back. So right oh. then and there, I knew that guy was just a piece of garbage. And I can't stand seeing his stupid face. I hate when he gets physical with the wrestlers. Like, I just, the stupid Kevin James hat that he wears. Like, I hate all of it. <laughs> everything about him. Um, so I will gladly, anytime I see his dumb face show up on here, give him a, and I, isn't he dead too? Didn't he die? Did he? I'm not sure if he died or not. I feel like he may be dead. I'll I know uh, when his hat falls off, I think it's a you know the next show we'll cover, Unforgiven. Uh, you could you could see his hair is paying the price for uh, whatever he's put in his body. Oh, uh, but. Yeah, he died actually. It's died at 49, so I won't talk too much more. It will. Uh, he actually died back in 2015. All right. Well, maybe he can go backstage now. Um, yeah, I'm not but sure how he passed away. Probably a heart attack. Actually, no, it was an incurable. He spent years dealing with health issues, including a serious incurable eye disease. Ooh. No health or life insurance. Oh. Independent contractor, it's a risk. Yeah. Uh, sitting on with our minuses, uh, aside from Jim Dotson, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Billy Gunn's a large lady. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Ass basically being squashed by The Rock and effectively ending his push in any momentum uh, that you could have gotten from his King of the Ring win two months ago, uh, earlier. I mean, but, he's probably the worst king other than like Mabel, right? Like, because Mabel's push kind of effectively ends the SummerSlam 2, but it, even he gets a little more mileage out of it. <laughs> like, like the, Yeah, the, Mabel's um, not really done till the next Rumble, right? Like, they still find right. a way to to yeah. get some juice out of him. Uh, and he at least, like, main event SummerSlam. Right. Like, he's at right. least kind of effective. Yeah. Events. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it was a weird... And I don't want to revisit King of the Ring, but it was a weird choice to pick and push a guy that effectively is like Triple H when you're about to set Triple H up as a top heel. Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of saying out of the gate, like Billy Gunn's ceiling is probably going to be like a upper mid Carter because you already have him as the main offender, like in Triple H, it's the same thing. So it was just an odd choice. Yeah. One of my best friends, shout out to Rel, has this theory and he's had it for years that uh, Billy Gunn and Test were basically hamstrung because they look like too much like triple h and i always yeah, thought I that was kind of ridiculous of but yeah um finding out kind of how i guess protective maybe petty triple h could be about his spot and uh anything you know regarding him and his character and his standing uh, i think i think there's something to that well yeah I mean, especially this i mean it's you're not going to push him when you're already pushing him like why would billy gunn be a world title contender against triple h when you it's like the same thing yeah, and especially from Triple H, and I just saw uh, what Tess pulled off. You know, I'm definitely right. watching my back. But at least Tess is a face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
to me, if you're setting up Billy Gunn to be a top heel, like, what's he going to do? It was just, yeah. I feel like his ceiling was always capped. And maybe mm-hmm. they knew it. Like, and maybe they just didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they knew that they was never going to actually be a main eventer. Maybe they just, whatever, just wanted to elevate him a little bit. Yeah. So, but he's also, like, the company's been very successful through the years about when they do break up tag teams, kind of having the guy starred who they're going to move up the card, like with Sean, right. with Brett and Billy Gunn felt like that next dude, like here, he's mm-hmm. been in a couple tag teams, all wildly successful and time to move him up. And I wonder if they should have just turned him. <sighs> yeah. Like nobody really wants to boo Billy Gunn. I don't think. Right. Well, the Mr. Ass thing can be likable if they like lean yeah. into it. Yeah, they could have maybe turned him here and made that would have gotten some mileage. But anyway, way too much time spent on Billy Gunn. Uh, so all in, that is a 13 plus 13 for notable moments. So like and now you add on the 6.25 for match grades, you can see we're headed toward a possible juggernaut when you look at these scores already. So the moments are just through the roof on this show. You add in that plus like a really good match grade outing and you're looking at something that's uh, going to be tough to overcome. Mm-hmm. Card structure. Great transitions between the matches. Like, everything was smooth. Nothing felt forced or overstayed its welcome. We kind of weave in and out. They did a good job early in the show introducing the Lion's Den concept and showing the cage. And then you come back for the match later in the night. And then what we've seen has been a trend in 99 so far is a really stacked back end of the card uh, where they, they load up the big four matches in a row. Yeah, uh, card structure was really spot on for this. And our only minus was... Uh, in the main event, the very end of the night, forcing the the Foley win just so Jesse can get his photo op and get some mm-hmm. feel good in there before they get down to the real business of uh, Triple H injuring out uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. But that is our only minus for card structure. All right, so that's a plus two. Uh, rewatchability, which is a category we use for really like fun moments you'd want to relive or matches that may not crack the all-time level but may be worth a rewatch anyway. Uh, so for this one, we had uh, just one, which, again, I mentioned earlier is one of my favorite moments when Undertaker wants to show Big Show how he shouldn't suck and just destroys X-Pac with the tombstone <laughs> and is mad about having to do it. Like he didn't he didn't want any part of having to get back in the ring and do something else. And he does it because he's just going to prove a point. Uh, so I could watch that tombstone over and over and over. It's the nastiest tombstone this side of like 1991. It's like, so good. He just murders him. <laughs> he jumps. He literally like jumps yeah. in the air and slams down. He is so mad at Big Show that he has to do this. Um, yeah, and then all-time ever... matches uh, is a category that uh, – and there's no bad for rewatchability. No. Uh, all-time matches is a category where uh, Marcus and I both have to give a uh, 4 two, five or above, so four and a quarter and higher. If we both go that level, it's an all-time plus. If we both go three quarters of a star below, it's an all-time minus. There are none of those, but there is a all-time great, and that is Test versus Shane McMahon. I went four and a quarter. You went four and a half. So that's another point. And Marcus, I will tell you, I was gobsmacked when I saw this total score come through. And I think I messaged you as we were doing it, like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> so our previous high was Money in the Bank 2011 with 28.75. And we thought, okay... That's going to be, like, untouchable. Then we had Fully Loaded 1999 last time, which is 26.25. We're like, oh, okay. Like, maybe there's plenty of room in this world for other shows besides Money in the Bank. Maybe we're going to see it. 
And then came SummerSlam 99 <laughs> with its 38.25. If you would have told me when we started the show, you know, six months ago, whatever, that through two and a half seasons, SummerSlam 99 was far and away the best show. I just would not have thought it. But when you look at the system we put into place, which factors in items like notable moments and characters and build and commentary, it just has all those components and it pops and it's well deserved like i pressure tested this multiple times like i went through and i'm like is this real like does it like you know i even i'm like just look at it again like are we sure and the more and more we looked at it we're like yeah it's it's legit and it is now by 10 points our best show yeah and kind of the staple of Russo's crash, uh, crash television, the attitude during this time is uh, it's kind of wrestling made for the hyperactive uh, ADHD person. Like there is so much happening at the drop of a second and mm-hmm. that could work in a show's favor. It could also work to its detriment if you have a ton of bad and you just keep throwing stuff at the wall and none of it sticks and you just give me more bad then you know it's it's kind of like law of averages like the more you throw out there the more chance you have to fail but we're seeing here ev like almost everything is hitting and and there's so much going on like you said with the characters and the matches are mm-hmm. good uh the matches really like showed up for the show so uh you effectively get a smash them stack them situation <laughs> with SummerSlam 99 just completely dominating uh fully loaded and uh, Money in the Bank 2011. Um, it's not I think even you close. Ma- I think you made a good point about the match grades, too, because you don't expect that out of this year. And that's a big differentiator, because if the match grade here was even close to like what we've seen for the rest of 99 or, or you know, chunks of 99, the match grades would have been more around like one or zero. And that brings us more in the atmosphere of Money in the Bank. So to me, it's really the like. A SummerSlam in 99 was always going to have like insane levels of moments and everything else because it has souped up these big shows so much. It's the matches that really set this apart now as a gold standard because they over-delivered across the board. If it was a standard 99 in-ring event, you're looking more at like maybe a 31 and you're only a few points ahead of Money in the Bank, right? So there's like a big difference um, with the show because it delivered in all the standard 99 spots plus it had a really good slate of in-ring action. So there it is. SummerSlam 99, 38.25, the new gold standard that we'll be chasing as we move forward this project. Uh, Speaking of gold standards, North-South Connection Podcast Network brings you tons of content across wrestling, pop culture, and beyond each and every day. Uh, We have tons of content, stuff I'm super proud of, hosts I'm super proud of that continue to churn this out uh just week after week after week since we started we are now into our third year and again i am just uh, really excited to continue to help lead bringing this content out we're uh, right now on wrestlemania obviously and you know working through our gwwe project at placebination.com we have content coming at you for that all of our shows pretty much are evergreen outside of some current stuff we do but you know the bulk of it is stuff you can just store up and binge you can share with others they don't have to be in uh, while it's live, you can back it up and then listen to it all. There's so many great things um, to like about Dort South Connection. So if you don't mind sharing us or 
leaving a review or leave a rating, it'd be much appreciated. Marcus, anything you want to hit on? Uh, yeah, I've been uh, really enjoying the new Cronoso project, uh, the reimagining and revisioning of just that whole effort. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's been knocking it out of the park, so I really enjoy that. And um, I have my own podcast uh, over on the soon-to-be-named network. It's uh, still on hiatus right now, but that is with uh, at Not the Toolman, Tim Taylor. Uh, it's called Final Wrestling Place, where we take the nouns of professional wrestling, and we give them arbitrary red points and green points, and we put them into uh, our good place or bad place. Um, so you can go through the, uh, the back catalog and uh, search out different seasons and uh, give us a test and see if you like it. Um, and then also the Viewer's Choice podcast on the network. Uh, right now it's been myself and Ryan Gray, and I've uh, just really been having a blast covering shows with him. Uh, he has such a positive, uh, I think, outlook and operates in a positive sphere uh, when viewing WWE currently. Um, so it's, it's really fun to, to talk current business with him. So those are my two projects. All right. Very good. Facebook.com slash North South Connection. All right, Marcus, let's dive into our second show tonight to wrap things up. And that is Unforgiven 1999. And it almost in some ways feels like Worlds Apart from SummerSlam. Um, I don't know why. It just felt like dramatically different, even though it's just a month later. But it's uh, September 26, 99 from the Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina. Of course, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler on the call. And uh, I'm going to turn things over to you to run down the card. Uh, yes, starting off the show. We've got Val Venus defeating Steve Blackman. And uh, the referee for this matchup is Steve, uh, the Brooklyn brawler Lombardi, because this is during the infamous referee strike for the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, they uh, have the scab refs all throughout the show. <laughs> Every match. <pretty> much. <laughs> Might be a lone highlight of the show. We'll see. But I went uh, two and a quarter on this match. I went two. It was fine. It felt like a little stall for Blackman. Um, this is one thing I kind of have a little issue with during this back end of 99 they get very heel heavy and at least a lot of kind of mixed message matches where you have like multiple heels battling and like you don't really know who to cheer for the crowd seems a little lost and this feels like one of those Mm -hmm. um it's fine i mean whatever venus steals the bag and puts the dildos in there and all that stuff so it's like whatever but uh yeah two stars for me just it felt like a little bit of a step back for blackman coming off the hot shamrock series yeah, definitely. Definitely step back for Blackman. Um, you know, yeah. Well, uh, just, just thinking how far this really does feel uh, away from SummerSlam. I know. Right. You know, it's it's, just it's weird. Apart, like, but. yeah, just I, I think because like Undertaker and Austin are kind of both banged up and off and all the Jesse stuff was so focused on Shamrock's gone, like kind of the Shane test thing is just suddenly done. Like it just feels like a dramatic shift, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Just something feels different. Mm-hmm. Um, but next up we have coming off of, uh, last show's developments. Uh, D'Lo Brown is going to win their kind of, uh, excuse me, the European title from Mark Henry. Uh, I went two and a quarter on this matchup as well. Yeah. Two stars to me. It's, it's pretty bland, really. I mean, it was pretty obvious. So Jared gave Henry the European title as a gift after he helped uh, helped him win the titles at SummerSlam. And you kind of knew where it was going. Like, as soon as they were starting to stop, that Brown would get his revenge and pay off the feud. And this pretty much ends their feud for all intents and purposes. So mm-hmm. um, it's fine. I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect. 
Yeah. Um, they do do some good work. Like, you know, it, it's not going to like blow your mind, but they definitely have their, their working shoes on, especially for being like two bigger guys. Hmm. Um, but our next contest is uh, for the Intercontinental title as Jeff Jarrett is going to retain the title by defeating China. I went three and a quarter on this match. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, I went three and a half. I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a, a great job uh, presenting China in in a way where she felt equal to Jarrett. Jarrett did a good job selling for her and uh, ends up winning by DQ, of course, because the feud is going to continue. And it was like an angry DQ. <laughs> like, it was like, damn, like, you know, it felt like we we're chugging along. And, um, you know, Miss Kitty has now showed up and she's uh, kind of a co-valet. Um, Deborah gets involved. She kind of has some different stuff going on where she's pissed at Jared again, which kind of feels like a rerun. Like kind of just mm-hmm. did it as like a work and, um, Mula and may are out there because they had been assaulted. This is when Jared really went into overdrive of, you know, attacking women on TV. And then Tom Pritchard misogynist that he is, is the referee. And, um, I'm sorry, Harvey Whitman is the referee, but Tom Pritchard comes out and basically, you know, we get the dusty finish after China wins the belt to say that Deborah interfered. And as a result, um, China does not win and, and Jarrett wins by DQ. So eh, screwy finish, but it kind of worked in a way too, because it sets up the rematch, but like, it's definitely one to get mad about because the crowd is super excited to see China win. And I thought this was really well done and I really enjoyed it on rewatch. Yeah. Version of the dusty finish going down in uh, WCW's backyard by the WWF is a bold call, but, uh, it, <laughs> it really worked here. Um, and yeah, made it, made it stand out. Uh, but our next matchup is the Accolades taking on uh, the de- the debuting for us Dudley mm. Boys. I went two and a quarter. I went two. It was fine. Kind of what you expect, just brawling. And yeah, the Dudleys came in, and they kind of rebooted them a bit. And I remember Vince, like the rumors sometimes was that Vince was really enjoyed like the stuttering Bubba gimmick and all that. So they um they kind of reboot it. Like they go back to the Dudleys that had been you know, evolving in ECW over the last three years or so from 96 to 99 and reset them almost back to 99. Uh, I mean, uh, back to 96 where they're, you know, back in the overalls with the tie dye, Bubba's doing the stuttering, Devon's doing the preaching and they, they kind of reboot them a bit. It's not until they make dramatic changes to them at the end of the year where they really take off. So here you start wondering, like, are they going to be another public enemy who came in for a cup of coffee mm. earlier in the year and got stuffed out by their, their locker room, you know, battered and left like within weeks? Or are they going to stick around? Are they going to get over, even though their calling card in ECW had become pure violence, vulgarity, you know, yelling at fans, nasty set of fans? Like, that was what they were known for, right? Bubba would take, and Gertner and all the guys would take you know, five minutes is destroying fans before shows or before matches. And it's like, you're not gonna be able to do any of that here. Can it translate? So all in all, this is just kind of a basic brawl, not much to it. And I went two stars. Yeah. I never really realized that they kind of rewind to where the Dudley boys uh-huh. uh, were, uh, especially where you guys are with uh, extreme three-way dance. Yes. Uh, but you know, it, that makes a ton of sense and they give them a lot of character stuff to establish them uh, in a very character heavy company um and you know we'll see how that plays out as the season goes on uh our next match is ivory versus luna for the women's title and that is a hardcore match mm. and harvey whippleman is going to be the special referee there uh the other scab referee in charge and i went two and a half 
Yeah, I went two and a quarter on this. It, it was fun. Like, they really beat the shit out of each other backstage. Yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, we get some really nasty stuff. Tori gets involved. Ivory ends up retaining her title yet again. Um, but this is a good use of someone like Luna, uh, for sure, to be in this setting. And, like, the women's division's been a little feisty. I think it was on Raw. I don't know. It was before or after this when Tori was going to go to the ring naked. Remember, they put the the dress shirt on her. And then she gets it with the mirror and all that. Like, there's some nasty yeah. stuff during this period with these women really laying into each other. But, um, yeah, I thought this is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and it also, it's it's pretty cool that the women here are going to kind of fill the backstage hardcore um, segment of the show that we've kind of grown mm-hmm. accustomed to this season. Uh, that, that was a nice change up and nice call there. Uh, our next contest is for the World Tag Team Championship as the New Age Outlaws are going to retain by defeating Edge and Christian. Uh, I like this a good bit. It grew, it grew on me as it went on. I went three on this matchup. Yeah, I went two and three quarters. It was it was definitely better than I expected coming in. I thought it was going to be a little boring. The Outlaws are back together suddenly uh, as DX is kind of hush-hush reforming through this time. Uh, that's more to come on them in our next episode. But for now, the outlaws who were kind of at each other's throats all summer suddenly just reform. Billy Gunn solo push is dead in the water and we're right back to the outlaws uh, being tag team champions. So um, they come in and they retain here. And uh, this is a, a very solid match. And Edge and Christian continue to gel and grow as a team as well. Yeah, it, it sucks to see. Billy, you know, them giving up on Billy Gunn uh, because he does have the potential. Uh, they just, you know, I don't know if they don't know how to book him or uh, the myriad of reasons that we covered uh, during during the SummerSlam episode. Um, but it's a good instance of you can always go back. Um, right. The fans want the New Age Outlaws to to be intact. They never wanted to boo them apart. Um, they never wanted them to be apart. So it's cool to see them go back, um, you know, because that, that well isn't dry. So uh happy to see the outlaws back uh well <laughs> i'm not not happy about this for the hardcore title al snow is going to defeat the big boss man and jt this might be our first double dead yeah i looked it up i'm pretty sure it is i don't think we've hit that yet uh actually no we um we talked about it before. Uh, Tori and Nicole Bass had a double dud okay. in No Mercy UK, but this is probably more of a legitimate double dud, given the the build, the feud, um, Big Boss Man murdering Al Snow's dog and feeding it to him, which is some good stuff, but the payoff here, not so good. So this is the kennel from hell. Uh, pretty infamous match. I think any you know wrestling fan who's been around for this long would would know of it. But it's, you know, they got the regular cage, then they get the hell of a cell around the cage. You got what are supposed to be, um, you know, mouthwatering Rottweilers patrolling, uh, more end up being kind of dogs that are afraid to even be out there. They pee it all over the place, mm-hmm. poor things like caged up and wanting to know part of this. And on top of it, the match is just like drags on. It's, you know, almost 12 minutes, like just did not need to be that long. They try to make it feel violent, but it just feels real lame. Um, to me, the most famous part of this match is, or the best part of this match, is the Mick Foley-Kevin Kelly cut that they do. It's on one of Mick Foley's DVDs. Uh, him and Kevin do alternate commentary and just shred the match. <laughs> um, it's really funny. And uh, Foley shreds this in his book as well, but... It's, uh, yeah, no bueno, no bueno. So I win zero, you win zero. It's all-time bad. It sucks, and it lives up to the reputation. I tried to watch it with an open mind, and it was just terrible. 
Yeah, and you know, if if we went into the negatives, uh, you know, I think this would this would so far be our lowest graded match. Uh, I found mm-hmm. this to be ten times more offensive than uh, the the Tory match that we had earlier in the season. Um, all sorts of bad. Um, and this is when didn't British Bulldog? This is how he returned, right? Like he helped Snow win the IC title back. Like Bossman wanted to get yeah. after SummerSlam, and Snow wins it back, and they kind of play in the Bulldog. You know, Bossman killing the dog thing, you know, like cares about dogs or whatever. <laughs> so um, I think that was Bulldog's reintroduction, I believe, to the WF after his hiatus. We'll talk about him in a minute. but Yeah, this, this was rough. Uh, and if you've noticed, like to this point in the show, um, well, I guess it, we'll talk about it here. Uh, our next match, X-Pac is going to defeat Chris Jericho, making his pay-per-view in-ring debut. Uh, and I went one and a half with this match. Yeah, um, disappointing. So I went one and three quarters. Like, Jericho really struggled in this match. And X-Pac, who's been on fire throughout all of it, throughout the whole year, um, struggled to, as well. Like, it just felt like an off night for him. And Jericho, we'll talk about it. It takes him a while to really get going in the company. And, and uh, he struggled mightily here. Not the best outing for either guy. Probably one you'd want to chalk up and forget. And they have history together. They had the really good ladder match. Becca sold out 97. So, like, they fought before. This one just did not click. And, I mean, this is Jericho's first pay-per-view match, and it's it's a bum. It's a bummer. Yeah, and to this point, if uh, you go back and you watch a show, you can tell the crowd is getting real antsy. Uh, they mm-hmm. haven't seen a star since, I would argue, since the third match with Jarrett in China. Those right. are two like upper mid card type of acts. I guess uh, the outlaws you could kind of say. Yeah, the outlaws are kind of there, but you know you've also got Billy Gunn like coming right off that that steamy dump of a run. Uh, so they don't even feel like they have the same potency as they've had um, before the outlaw breakup. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been a rough night uh, if you're like looking for the stars, and I, that really stood out to me up to this point and you know we even get a fan fight during this match uh and these guys have to sit in a headlock for probably a good two and a half minutes uh waiting for that to clear up yeah it's uh, trash yeah we'll uh move on to our main event though uh, a lot of star power here this is the first ever six-pack challenge for the wf championship uh it's vacant uh because vince mcmahon won the title mm-hmm. on smackdown <laughs> yes. And uh, he's already back from the fully loaded end of an era match uh, came back because basically Triple H was abusing Linda. And that's a pretty famous moment on SmackDown where he comes out to defend Linda. And they say that, OK, well, the title's on the line. It's kind of out of nowhere. Vince is bleeding. Steve Austin shows up, attacks Triple H and Vince McMahon wins a world title as a face. You know, at some point he was winning that title. <laughs> uh, yeah. Incredible moment. Uh, you know, we can talk about that in the build. Uh, but right here, we've got Triple H, The Rock, Kane, The Big Show, Mankind, and like you mentioned, uh, the reintroduced British Bulldog all competing. Uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin is like the special enforcer, and he's also doing some uh, special commentary as well. Uh, I went three and a quarter on this match. Uh, yeah, I went three and a half. I, I dug it. I thought it was pretty good. I, Bulldog looked good. Like I, I remember this run as him being kind of sad, but I don't think the sadness comes until later. Uh, I think he actually looks looks pretty solid here. He's got the old tights on. He's a good addition. He is filling in for the Undertaker, who was hurt and ends up going on a break for a while. 
uh, until we don't see him again until what May. So he's out for a bit rehabbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bullock steps in last minute and, and he's hell bent on made it very clear. Like he has only come back to win the world title. So that's we'll we'll talk about it as we go forward, but that is his main goal in this return. And he'll do anything to get there. And this was fun. Another match though, similar to SummerSlam's main event that started slow and took a little bit to get cooking. Um, but once it does, it, it really, you know, gets pretty fun. Triple H wins the vacant title. So he's our two-time champion in a very weird way. Like the way they were building his push as a traditional heel throughout 99, like since then has been wonky. Well, all the cluster fuckery before SummerSlam, not winning at SummerSlam, winning a raw, losing the belt to Vince McMahon, winning it back vacated. Like it's definitely been a weird Rocky start to his run as a main eventer. Yeah, it, it's not been easy for him. He's he's had a tough go of it. Um, and surprised to see Triple H actually pin the Rock here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they're kind of using the the multi man main event uh, to their advantage with like the surprising finishes. You kind of look and you think maybe mm-hmm. Big Show, maybe Mankind, maybe the Bulldog, maybe even Kane. But uh, you know, Triple H up on Rock, um, given all the obstacles that Triple H has had to face uh, with his first two title runs, they at least put him over pretty strong, um, mm-hmm. you know, cleanly putting the rock in the middle um, and having Austin have to count the fall. Um, that's kind of a, a cool little extra thing about this match. And uh, just to go back on Bulldog. Yeah. He looked amazing here. Um, yeah. I was kind of waiting to see like where the sadness kicks in um, mm-hmm. and it's not here. Uh, he comes back. He looks motivated. They give him, you know, the drive that he's back only to win the WF title. It's the only championship that he's missing. Um, and, and we'll see where that goes. But uh, Bulldog is probably an upgrade over Undertaker, just like in ring at this point. Um, yeah, Taker was so banged up. I mean, I think it's why they were hiding him in those tags with Big Show, too, because he was so hurting and just needed the break. I mean, he was all messed up. So, and he'd been going for a while. I mean, when was his last time off, really? 94? Last, yeah. like, long So, um, you know, he's had little breaks here and there, but for the most part, he's been consistently on TV since the end, since SummerSlam 94 to 99. I mean, it's been five years pretty much without a real substantial break. So he was due for one. And, uh, yeah, no, he's an upgrade. I just feel bad. I thinking how much, you know, friggin' pain pills he was probably on just to get through this time period. Like yeah. his back was screwed up from that injury in WCW and the staff infection and all that other shit. But um, now he's back and at least they're using him well, like they're presenting him as a, as a serious threat. So, uh, okay. So that nets us out to a total, and this is what I was talking about. Why SummerSlam is so impressive of negative 1.5. Now, obviously the double dud hurts, but there wasn't much else really to get excited about besides the main event and the China Jarrett. Everything else was, was below average for the most part. So we clock in at negative 1.5 coming in to our categories. Let's talk. Build. We had a point for Triple H gaining enemies quickly as champion. We had a point for Vince McMahon winning and surrendering the title. A point for Jeff Jarrett's women hating, really ramping up during this time. A point for the referee strike. A point for the acolytes not liking the Dudley boys because they felt like they were invaders and, you know, kind of hinting at the public enemy stuff. D'Lo Brown gets his revenge on Mark Henry uh, during this feud. A point for, of course, Pepper Steak, <laughs> Big Boss Man and Al Snow. A point for Mr. Hughes debuting as Chris Jericho's bodyguard. And a point for the birth of the rock and sock connection during this time period as well. So, of course, big time. We'd have this is your life and all that stuff in this time. So, a lot of cool stuff. That's some big things going on there. Let's take a look at the minuses, though. We've got Val Venus and Steve Blackman fighting over a literal bag of dicks. The New Age Outlaws back together after the Billy Gunn experience uh, experiment has failed. Uh, quiet and the Shamrocks run, as we mentioned back at SummerSlam. 
and Vince already back from uh, the fully loaded mm-hmm. stipulation. All right, so that's a plus five for build. So as usual, 99, a lot of high quality build going on. Commentary, they are all in on the main event. They are locked in. Uh, King gets in his bag a little bit with the extremely crappy wrestling starts going in on ECW <laughs> during the hardcore stuff. Uh, this would end the match for a normal man. Uh, Lawler says about China when she gets posted. Uh, it was the Lawler J. I forget who said it, but it was it was a good line. Um, Val Venus during his match, uh, J. Uh, King is plugging Man on the Moon, which is the Andy Coffin movie that was you know coming out during this time, and he says uh, Val is Man in the Moon, which is really funny. <laughs> It's worth it, worth the call out. Uh, how were you excited for Man on the Moon? Did you go see that in the theater? Um, I, I was a little young at this point. Uh, I don't right. think I, I do remember it, it was on TV not too long after this. I think this one made it to TV pretty quick, and I remember um, like being able to watch it. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. It's like Jerry Lawler, and and I was like, why is Jim Ross on commentary? Like, I knew Jim Ross was not around mm-hmm. uh, Memphis wrestling. Um, but yeah, I was like, kind of excited to see a movie based off of uh, Andy Kaufman and uh, you know the infamous stuff he did in Memphis. Yeah, I was super pumped. Uh, I, I definitely was starting the theater pretty quick to see. Uh, I mean, there weren't many movies, if any, about wrestling in the theater at that point. So to see that, and also I was an Andy Kaufman fan. Like I used to live and die by that Comedy Central special that used to air like all the time. That was like a you know home from school special or summertime special that you'd catch it. They'd run it on uh, Comedy Central randomly like Wednesday at 1 p.m. And I just I'd watch it every time. And if you've never seen it, it's worth watching. I keep trying to get Cowboy and Cross on to do it on uh, Square Circle Silver Screen. They did Man on the Moon, but I actually think the uh, documentary is much better from Comedy did, Central. It's really good. Have they done uh, Man in the Moon on Square Circle to Silver Screen? <laughs> no, no. We're going to save that for uh, North <laughs> South After Dark. But uh, we actually gave two points for this next line because I was dying and I thought it was super funny. When King says, he asked JR where, where Moolah and May play college football, <laughs> which is just so good on many levels. Like, it's just super funny. Um, they did a really good job, all things considered with King, for Jarrett China presenting that as... Uh, even we gave another point for the Mayamula jokes on top of it because they were just dialed in, uh, just crushing them on top. So that's if you're counting, that's three points alone for Mayamula. Um, you know, they do a good job establishing the Dudley boys. Uh, they do a great job burying the kennel, which is funny. And uh, they were really good with the Austin stuff as well. So a lot of positives on commentary, but uh, definitely offset a bit here as well. Yeah. Um, real quick, Andy Kaufman, dead or alive? dead okay i think i agree with you but i'm not sure i wouldn't i wouldn't and put by the way we, we kind of i kind of miscounted that like that too is for all those king lines extremely mm-hmm. crappy wrestling the ma- match with them for normal man man in the moon and maya mula playing college so all those equated to two points and then another one for maya mula overall <laughs> uh, um let's get into the minuses for commentary uh, King is all over the fat Mark Henry story. We've got King perving on Miss Kitty, King being obnoxious with the doggy style jokes, and Jr. has a slip of the tongue as he uh, refers to Christian as Christopher. Yes, that was funny. Maybe laugh, Christopher. Um, all right, so uh, that that's out to a plus three for commentary. So uh, a lot of a lot of pluses, but also some minuses there to pull it down. 
the atmosphere. Uh, this was during Hurricane Floyd or right after it. So they talk about mm -hmm. that a lot in North Carolina. The crowd is on fire for Jarrett and China. Uh, Austin being visible and on commentary just added so much to the atmosphere of the main event. Uh, the really great opening video narrated by Classy Freddy Blassie. Uh, X-Pac is super over, kind of on the doorstep of a turn coming up. And then just the mega pop for Austin as well when he comes out. Just, the crowd is just insane for him still. Uh, side note, uh, Hurricane Floyd, did that affect you at all, like, up at your neck of the woods? Uh, I know that was a really big storm. Uh, I was in Virginia at the time. Uh, that was a big one. Yeah. I don't remember. I would have been in college, um, like, at school during this time, the beginning of um, freshman year. I mean, uh, sophomore year, I should say. So... I don't know, like everything feels weird when you're in college, like all kinds of storms and stuff. Like, I don't recall, like you just got in your dorm either way. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you're not going to lose power probably. You're not going to have to go anywhere. I can't leave campus anyway. So it's like, okay, I couldn't walk to dinner. <laughs> like, I don't know, like that. Like that would have been it. But I don't, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. Went up to the Mid-Atlantic, New England and Canada. Floyd's heavy rainfall continued to New England. Effects in Rhode Island were limited to rainfall and winds. Wind gusts of Massachusetts, which is where I would have been. So it seems like probably just like a bad tropical storm by the time I get up there. But okay, yeah, this I, was... I don't remember anything too super bad. I me. remember like cars floating down the street and water water being up to like uh, like floor level in the house almost. It, it was a bad one definitely, and I was probably like two and a half hours north. So I think even like North Carolina got it a lot worse, but. Um, what category was it? Does it? I'm trying to look. For it. Uh, I, I uh, category I a, two. Okay. Uh, it was once forecast to hit Florida, but then it turned and ended up as a very strong category two into North Carolina. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was, was, it was a rough one. at one point. It peaked at a four. Okay. And then came down to two before it hit. Yeah, it was. It was. It was one for the record books. Like that one stands out. Um. But moving on to the minuses, uh, we got uh, a lackluster set, uh, a really darkened arena, which I was going to mention mm. earlier, and I'm, I'm glad it's here, um, compared to especially coming off of SummerSlam. Like, this adds to, like, that, uh, you know, worlds apart difference. Um, we got a fan fight during Xbox and Jericho, which absolutely kills their, uh, their match and any mm -hmm. chance that they had of redeeming their match. And the crowd is asleep for the Accolades and Dudley Boys match. All right, notable moments and importance. We have a lot, as usual, in 99. D'Lo Brown regains the European title. We have a dusty finish in Crockett territory, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, the really funny Stevie Richards gimmick, where he's kind of doing back to his old school ECW gimmick of aping other stuff. And here he's just like an acolyte, and he's got the UPN on his chest. He's trying to be an acolyte. And then Farouk <laughs> almost just ends him with a dominator. <laughs> just completely destroys him. <laughs> Uh, we have a hardcore women's title match, which was pretty rare, if not the first one. Uh, the first ever six-pack challenge match. Mula and May getting involved in attacking Ivory. That'll, of course, go somewhere. The arrival of Nurse BB, uh, which was interesting. Uh, a really fun pre-match promo from Mark Henry, uh, who t who tries to get out of the match for saying he's injured. He says he has a brain aneurysm, which, is, which was good. Uh, the pay-per-view debut, Miss Kitty. China challenging for a men's singles title on pay-per-view. Deborah finally turning on Jeff Jarrett after he ravaged May Amula. It was kind of enough. Uh, China just just lathers Dr. Tom with a pedigree. Just crushes him with that. Uh, 
Jericho's first pay-per-view match and Austin destroying the refs with extra gusto in that main event when the scabs come out to take out the real ref. I mean, not this guy, the scab ref gets jumped by uh, all the striking refs and Austin just goes in there and just lays them all out, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, business picks up with Stokehold gets in the pile. And uh, that <laughs> pedigree that China gives Dr. Tom is, mm-hmm. it's, oh, it, that was, it's a good one. Uh, it's video game quality. Um, it, it, it's rough. Uh, looking at the minuses for the show and real quick going back to atmosphere atmosphere uh, went to a plus two uh, so with our minuses here we got triple h surviving the whole main event division uh, that mm-hmm. was kind of a really this is really a one match card um, they put all their eggs into the basket and you get triple h really prevailing over all the baby faces and other heels at the main event level the Chaz abuser storyline is going on during this time and we get a segment of oh, that oh. Yeah, it's awful. A, uh, a really bad Big Show promo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems really lost and directionless without The Undertaker. Uh, your best friend, Jim Dotson, attacking Steve Blackman. Ugh, a jerk. His little, his little hat falling off. Uh, the Kennel from Hell, which, oof, lucky we didn't ding them another point uh, for that. Well, they got more to come. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, and all the... <laughs> <laughs> the dog piss uh, in the cell, just uh, you know, a, a separate. Well, and they minus. capture it like on camera, and they call it out on commentary. Like the dog literally pisses as it comes through the cage door. Yeah, so uh, minus one there. The uh, it felt like they were transitioning Dotson in ring. Like it seemed like there yeah. was a Blackman coming out of this for sure. I remember that because they kept having issues on TV too. It was like an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so that nets out to a plus eight. So as usual, a very good score for moments, and it's really going to buoy this show. Uh, match grades we talked about was a negative one and a half. Card structure, we have some good points here as well. We have a really good placement of X-Pac and Jericho late in the show. It just, you know, didn't deliver, but the process was good. Uh, really good match variety, too. Kind of, you get the hardcore women. You do have the cage. You know, you get the brawling. You get the six-pack. Like, you get the China stuff. Like, there's a lot of good variety throughout the card. And uh, what's kind of been one of the negatives we've talked about a bunch is the backstage stuff where a lot of matches or segments kind of drag out backstage and it kind of kills the crowd. But here we only got the one um, and it's quick. So we mm-hmm. kept all the action in the arena, which is good. Yeah. And uh, as far as minuses, we got a lack of a hot opener. We've that's kind of been to the benefit. I think this season is they've really started out well with, you know, engaging acts or in the case of SummerSlam, like a really good match. Um, but here we start off with Val Venus and Steve Blackman and um, just not two acts that I think the crowd is really invested in um, to see first thing. And they're both heels, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, like we've either been opening with Godfather or a good match. And like, that's a smart approach. This this was a shaky approach. Um, all right. So that's a plus two overall. Nothing for rewatchability. Uh, and then all time bad. We decided to give a double dose of Snowboss Man with a minus two. Uh, because I mean the double dud and it's just really really bad. No pluses. None so at all. this definitely got hurt down the stretch, but it is carried still by notable moments and by build. So it still ends up with a 16 and a half, Marcus, uh, which puts it like in a pretty good position. It's it's still a what one two three four five like a top six pay per view for us so far. So like it goes to show you how much the moments and commentary and build are really carrying the shows this season. Uh, because they're infiltrating this top end uh, quite thoroughly. This is what well, this one's more in the pack than like SummerSlam was, but it's still higher than you probably would have thought coming in. And, you know, again, the moments just 
carry him so much. Yeah, it feels kind of like a low point, especially coming off a Red Hot show like SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you add everything up and you factor everything in, especially the moments, commentary, uh, you know, it's it's not that bad at all. You know, it, it finishes in a pretty good spot um, for what we have now. So uh, surprising outcome for Unforgiven. It I guess it wasn't as bad as it felt. Or it was, and just, you know, they had enough moments yeah. <laughs> to, to carry it. <laughs> yeah. Or just part of it, too. Okay. All right. So that wraps it up for us. Uh, why don't we go over our overall list of pay per views? We now have 24 total. So, 24th place. We have Over the Limit 2011 with a negative nine. Followed by Netted Champions 2011 with negative three. Now those spreads are crazy when you think of our best show. Like it's 40 <laughs> points better. <laughs> uh, WrestleMania 11 is uh, just under break even at negative 0. 0.75. Elimination Elimination Chamber 2012 with a 2.75. No Mercy 1999 UK edition with a four. The Royal Rumble 1995 with a 5.5. TLC 2011 with a 6.25. The 2012 Royal Rumble with a 6.5. And then tied with that, but uh, we personally put it ahead, is King Larry 94 with a 6.5. How much does that guy weigh? Survivor Series 1994 with a 7.75. Extreme Rules 2011 with an 8.75. The SummerSlam 1994 with a 9. Vengeance 2011 with a 9.5. Hell in a Cell 2011, 11.5. Capital Punishment 2011 with a 13.75. WrestleMania 28 with a 14.5. King of the Ring 99 with a 16. Backlash 1999, 16.25. Unforgiven 99, 16.5. The Survivor Series 2011, 18.75. SummerSlam 2011 with a 23. Fully Loaded 1999, 26.25. And then our top two, Money in the Bank 2011, 28.75. And the new number one overall show, SummerSlam 1999 with a 38.25. So we have a very golden gold standard on top, and we will see what can touch it as we go forward. We will continue through our 99-2000 season on our next episode with, uh, what do we got? No Mercy. And, oh, Rebellion, so another UK pay-per-view coming up. So Mm -hmm. uh, we'll continue to see how 99 eases in. As we know, the fall can usually, you know, bring up with it a uh, shaky product in the world of WF, WWE. So we'll see if that continues to be a trend as we move forward. Any final thoughts? Um, The gate is wide open for Top Show. So um, Mm -hmm. I think SummerSlam has shown if you have a lot of good and you deliver it in ring and you deliver with the moments and commentary uh, and you avoid that one really awful match. Uh, I think any show now has a shot at uh, cracking the top spot. Agreed. Well, we'll see how these shows continue to live above replacement level, Marcus, and everyone out there should continue to live their lives above replacement level. I'm JT. That's Marcus. We'll talk to you next time on WWE.